Hey Zwifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Zwiftcast coming up on this episode. New tarmac inbound. Some of it may be tilted steeply upwards. We speculate wildly. The Froome Chase format. Have we seen the real, exciting, entertaining future of Zwift racing? And Zwift CEO Eric Min is officially the 30th most influential person in cycling. Is that too high? Too low? We'll see. Well, there are two script items that we can seamlessly meld into one as we commence today's Zwift Castery. Pausing only briefly to say, G'day, mate, to Shane Miller. G'day, how are we? Good. And likewise, Nathan Gary, yo, dude. Hey, Simon, hey, Shane, how's it going? Good, good, good. And I should warn you, Nathan, you are involved in this. So here we go. A certain race commentator and man known far and wide as the voice of Swift posts on the socials that his FTP is heading towards 350 watts, item one. Item two, as part of the BLM movement sweeping the world, there is a proposal to rename Fort Bragg which we are assuming would also see the Fort Bragg PD defunded and disbanded. If this happens, we can no longer alert the Fort Bragg PD to FTP posts on Facebook. Oh <laughs> Shane, are you seeing my linkage here? There's some inside baseball terminology there. Uh, yeah, we may have to retire Fort Bragg. Uh, but look, the internet is not short on memes, and I'm sure we can pull one out that will just <laughs> will, will fit right into that slot of people bragging about their FTPs. I think we'll be able to come up with one. If not, I'll, I'll, we'll throw it out there to the listeners. Um, yeah. Yeah, give us your best memes uh, to it replace will, this one. It will be a shame to see the, the back of Fort Bragg. But anyway, Nathan, <laughs> Nathan, Nathan, a couple of questions. I mean, I, you didn't, I think, I don't think, post this this 350 figure very widely, but there it is, 350 watts a, uh, FTP. I mean, WTAF, what have you been drinking <laughs> and can I have some of it, please? Okay, I mean, and also so, you weigh you, you you weigh about what sixty kilos soaking wet? No, 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 no. <laughs> in, in 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 real money, I'm 150 pounds, okay, and I'm pushing 350 for 20 over a KOM. So that's a little different what I was talking about where we posted it. But 350, uh, that's maybe backpedaling. Maybe. That's backpedaling. That's yeah. He's, I mean, okay. <laughs> it wasn't all in. It was a two or three by 20. So I guess maybe we could go. And I didn't do it outside. I got my excuses like the usual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for 370. Let's go. Not kidding. Yeah, but they, they are good numbers, man. I mean, there, there is a bit of a thing going around on Zwift Riders and among a couple of my mates, actually, talking about lockdown fitness, you know, coming out of this terrible period with with big numbers. And, you, you I mean, you have been hammering it recently, have you not? Yeah, I mean, I tried some new things this year um, with – so when I really – got fast on the bike. I said, okay, I'll go do what the pros do. And I looked at some of the things that they were up to, got a little bit of coaching, then started self-coaching, read a lot. And one of the main things I saw that boosted my base fitness and literally base fitness being like the foundation you build from was just crazy high consistent pedaling for a very long time. And I used to do that outside, start at my house, go to Milwaukee, which is uh, 50 miles and come straight back. A hundred mile ride, nonstop 200 watts is where I started. 
Then I went to 200. Then I went to 230. I think the best I got outside before I quit racing was like a two, like right around that 225 to 230. Well, on Zwift recently, which numbers are usually lower indoors, I said, I'm going to shoot for 4.0. And I think I almost got it. I got like the 264, 65 or something. Um, and then on top of that, I was doing a ton of races, just back to back to back racing, yeah, yeah, yeah. some yeah. intervals. And it just, I mean, when you're, but here's what I say on stream though, is this pool of riders is so much faster than they were three years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are racing with just the elite of the elite in this virtual world, it seems like. And when you just got to go that much harder, you just got to hang on. And when the level, all boats are rising, it seems like in the Zwift world, which yeah, is just yeah. making me that much faster, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. Well, you are flying at the moment. And in fact, so much so that uh, um, we'll talk about this towards the end of the show, but you've now taken up simultaneously racing as an A and commentating, which just blows my mind. But we'll, we'll talk about that later because first, we cannot go one second further without discussing new tarmac yes enfin at last and eventually we're gonna have new roads to ride now this is tied up with a huge piece of news which broke on cycling news and also appeared elsewhere although curiously the zwift has yet to confirm officially but the news was does that there will be a virtual tour de france in july with the blessing of airso the owner of the tour it said that 15 pro teams are signed up, each to race as teams of four across three weekends in July, a total of six stages. Exciting enough. But uh, let's focus on the bit that most Swifters are going to be really keen to hear about, and uh, that is that much of that racing or some of that racing is going to be on new roads to ride. Now, if the cycling news piece is authoritative and I think it is, even though we've had no confirmation from Swift officially, I think it is right. We know that we are getting Paris, complete with undoubtedly the finish on the Champs-Élysées, and we also know we are getting Nice. This latter makes sense on a couple of levels because Nice is huge as a venue for the sockless ones, so that hits the tri-crowd as well as cyclists. Uh, Before we move on to potentially the most exciting part, which is the road uphill, let's just pause a moment and consider Paris and Nice connected, of course, by a race, which was pretty much the last pro race ridden this year. Uh, Shane, let's just get your initial reaction to the bombshell, please. The bombshell that you think cycling news is authoritative? Oh, geez, Simon. (laughs) I thought you knew this game well. Uh, All... all... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all speculation at this stage. Without any confirmation, we don't know. But I tell you what, Zwifters love new roads. No matter what kind of new roads they are, be them dirt, be them dead, flat, boring rides that everyone seems to ride. The uh, the Fugo Flats are are quite popular. So any new road is welcome. It's going to be crazy popular. We've been waiting way too long. Though I do like Titans Grove, we just still need new roads. As long as they're not tucked away elsewhere in another world, I just please have them hooked up to Watopia somewhere. That'd be nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, there's a big movement for that to happen, and 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 and, and even, you know, Paris and, and Nice linked. I mean, they're a long, long way apart in real life, but you know, linked in the way that uh, that Central London and Box Hill is is linked. Uh, maybe we'll go down the rabbit hole of why Zwift is, seems to be obsessed with. Uh, making stuff work on Strava, or maybe there's a way around that. But we'll go down that rabbit hole later. Um, 
Nathan, um, I mean, Nice and Paris, I think, are both likely to be fairly flat, although lots of people don't realise, actually, that Le Champs-Élysées is actually a false flat. Uh, and Nice, actually, is also surrounded by climbs, which was why uh, the one who must not be mentioned lived there for quite some considerable time. Um, but I do think the the focus on the Paris and Nice bits is likely to be flat, don't you? Um, interesting. I think I think there's a tension here when we talk about course profile to if we're going to replicate this, especially with ASO and the level of pressure that might be around all that. And what we saw from other platforms that was really popular with the professional riders, they seem to really like the direct replication that was kind of a talking point a lot. Yeah, and yeah, so. Yeah. I think regardless of all that, the highest value may be just direct replication. So um, regardless of whether or not people want flat, whether or not people want more climbing, whether, you know, what, because I do know that Zwift like to throw in a little bit, like when I've talked to the, the devs, we've seen other things released, they kind of like to throw a little action in there here and there rather than have it just be all completely flat. Like you see uh, TikTok and you see uh, even Ocean Boulevard, Fuego Flats, the flattest thing we've ever had. And that's the only one that's like, okay, and this was meant to be a TT course kind of a thing was the idea that you go out and back. And, you know, so, um, but I think replication with this level of a race is going to be the highest value. So whatever yeah. that those courses are, that's what we'll get, I think. Well, I mean, it could be Nice Monaco, and that the, 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 that's a really interesting bit of road, actually. I mean, visually, it's absolutely spectacular, uh, and 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 it's quite rolling. You know, there's some little lumps. Nice Monaco, I've ridden it a few times. Um, in fact, I rode it once, and Chris Froome was coming in the opposite direction, which was quite a thrill because, of course, Chris Froome lives in Monaco, so there's there's maybe a bit of interest there. But anyway. Let's get on to what could be the really interesting thing and uh, a possible, possible new climb. So there was mention in the piece of a marquee climb. Note, not a new marquee climb, just a marquee climb. Now, we have Alpe in the game, and that climb is synonymous with the tour. I'm sure that will be included in the virtual tour, without a doubt, because apart from anything else, we're going to want to use this to market uh, uh, the, 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 the the existing bits of the game. And Alduez is a, a very marketable asset. So it could be that, but I'm not convinced it is. I think we're heading for a new climb. So indulging in the wild and free-thinking speculation that is the hallmark of the Zwiftcast... Just say we were going to get a new marquee climb and one indelibly associated with the tour. Well, which one would it be? So we're going to play one of our guessing games, boys. Uh, I'm going to help you out here with some clues. Uh, let's boil it down first to the five most often used climbs on the tour. One of those is Alduez. We've already got that, so we're with that. That leaves us with the Tourmalet, the Col d'Aubisque, the Col d'Aspan, and the Col de Galibier. Um, for variety, let's throw in a legendary climb that a lot of cyclists have heard of. That has to be Le Mans, uh, Le Mans Ventoux. And then finally, let's throw in another very visually interesting climb because of the amazing Casse Desert towards the top, and that will be Le Col de Isoard. Shane, your pick of those, if indeed we think we are getting a new climb, which one might it be? I mean, some in that list are brutally long, and a couple can only really be reached via another climb. Not that 
that would have to matter in Zwift. Off you go. Which one would be your, your pick? Well, I think early on they were hesitant to do any long climbs because I think the the sentiment was who wants to sit on their trainer and climb something like the Alp to Zwift? How boring will that be? Well, they were proven wrong, but I, I don't think it'll be a long climb because I think Alp to Zwift is long enough. I think the hour mark on that, if you're going in yeah. under the hour, that's pretty good. There's some riders who are just touching the hour and a half or even the two-hour mark. There's all levels of riders on Zwift. If you had anything long than that or steeper than that or harder than I don't think it'll be as popular I, I could be proven wrong what's the shortest climb on all of those um well unfortunately I, I'd be judging that on my knowledge I have actually I've climbed all of these uh Mont Ventoux I have done and bear in mind I'm not I'm not I'm not the fittest my best time up Mont Ventoux from the Bedouin side which is the classic side to ascend I think my best time up that was an hour 30 oh. so you could knock mm, given that no, i'm fat mm. you know given that, yeah but given that i'm fat old and slow shade you could knock <laughs> you could knock 30 minutes off that first one out, <laughs> i think probably that's 20. for the pro I, I look without naming the climb i'd say that the shortest one that that's what i'll go with i'll do my homework before the next episode yeah, we'll find out. i'll yeah, get the shortest one that's, that's to make probably, it more exciting that's probably quite a good call that could point towards Mont Ventoux, actually. Um, Nathan, I mean, let's get the American perspective here because Le Tour is not as big there as we uh, know and love it in in Europe. I mean, I, you know, I know, I know American cyclist uh, fans obviously love Le Tour, but it just hasn't got quite the profile in, in the States that it, or, or perhaps quite the detailed knowledge in the States that you might find from cycling fans in Europe. Um, so I think name recognition would be a big factor to appeal to American Zwifters. Uh, we think probably about 35 to 40% of all Zwifters are American names. So name recognition could be a thing. Using that criteria, which which one out of that list would you would you plump for? I'm trying to figure the Tourmalet is 17.2, it looks like. From what I see, yeah, again, I mean, mm, nearly all of these climbs have have a couple of they're directions. All, they're yeah. all long. Here's the thing: all of these, all of these climbs are longer than Alpe d'Huez. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> Alpe d'Huez, those average gradient is eight point one, which is sharper than all of them. Mm. So, <sighs> Glibier is five five, but is really long, thirty one point four. I don't think that's Ooh. getting thrown in there. Uh, the uh, the Abyss. How do you say? I, I'm I'm horrible with French, but Code Albisque, I think, is the shortest at 7.2 and closest, maybe. You're looking at 16.6 at three kilometers longer than the Alpe d'Huez. So mm -hmm. you're looking at a 40 ish minute climb for the top times coming from the Pro Tour, you know, UCI wow. guys. Yep. So I think that might be what they're going to go after just because. I mean, if they're going to add something new in there, again, climbing the Tourmalet or these or Glibier, I mean, these are really long climbs. I mean, uh, Vantu even 21.4 at 7.6. And it's kind of bare at the top of Vantu, too. Like, yeah. I think the Abisk yeah. is kind of the coolest looking one, actually. It's got some landmarks and stuff around it. Uh, yeah, it well, I mean, the, so. the Abisk is, is kind of classic, you know, Alpine or Pyrenean climb. There's lots of very beautiful grassy meadows. It's quite green. It's quite I'm going to go with the Abisk. I'm going to go with that. If it is going to be, I'm, that's what I'm throwing okay. my hat in on. Okay, well, that's fair enough. We've got our bids on the table there. Shane, very, uh, very smartly, I think, he's going for the shortest one. <laughs> uh, and uh, and Nathan's going for the Cold Abisk. 
Do you know what? I might, I could possibly go for, for the Izuard actually. Um, or uh, when we were climbing it, uh, as we christened it, and many other cyclists have christened it, the It's So Hard. Uh, it's <laughs> that is a hard call, actually. But, but hedging my bets here, as I like to do, um, I really can't see the appeal of, of, of Le Mans Ventoux, actually. I mean, there's so much cycling history around it. The lunar landscape at the top, it's um, it's kind of bleached limestone at the top. I can, that, that, that I can see being kind of appealing to to a Zwifty treatment. So I'm hedging my bets. I'm going to go with either Isoard, It's So Hard, or I'm going to go with, with Le Mans Ventoux. So we will see. We will see, I think, fairly soon. Okay. Um... If this story is true, and I completely get your cyclingnews.com warning, Shane, if it's true, <laughs> but I think it is. I, I, I just, it feels right to me. Uh, we could only be a week or 10 days away from these roads appearing in the game because they're talking about uh, the virtual Tour de France starting early July, um, which means they're not far off at all. Shane, surely they won't make these events only, will they? I really hope not. We saw when the Alpe de Zwift was released, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people just climbing it because it was there. Um, whereas something like Bologna, which was event only, we had to wait for an event to, and, and sometimes events don't appeal to people. Sometimes people mm. just want to go and smell the roses and, and ride up. But just backing up onto your Von 2 prediction, you're saying at the very top of that, it's very barren. It's very, not many, not much detail to it, quite bare. Mm. So you're saying it's going to run very well on a, on a potato machine. Now, there could be a reason for people. There we go. Nice nice and easy on the graphics. Not many complaints at the top. It could be a support decision to go up Von 2 on Zwift. Yeah, well, they won't, need many, they won't need many coloured pixels. <laughs> They're the worst. They, they take up too many CPU cycles, the coloured ones, for sure. Yeah. Uh, look, I hope it's open to all. Um, maybe they could level lock it. Ooh, dare I say level locking something to maybe level 50? So, hey, Simon, were you level 50 yet? Um, I mean, both of those seem to pass the test here, right? We are having a Zwiftcast where mention of the Tron bike is not permitted. Okay, let's move on. Nathan, 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 they could. I mean, this has just occurred to me as well, because, I mean, this is going to be the virtual Tour de France. I mean, this is Eric Min's dream, you know. I mean, he, he, he has been talking about this from pretty much day one, actually. I mean, it, you know, it, it's a personal and professional dream of his. So... It really is big, this. I, I'm sort of surprised Zwift aren't talking about it yet, but no doubt they will soon. But one thing they could possibly do, because this is a, you know, the marketing around this will be will be enormous. One thing they could do is they could make us wait until after the pros have ridden them. Do you think they could pull a trip like that, Nathan? That's a long time to wait and watch. Yeah. I don't know. Like, that's because it's across how many weeks? They said four weeks three, right three weekends three weeks, three yeah. weeks so three weekends mm. you're watching i can't go ride it i mean mm. i think the idea well maybe okay i think it could go like this the same way that we saw tour for all tour for watopia and all that we have a highlight on this day and then it releases the tour for all the next day or however yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean yeah. so then would, yeah, you know, at, the, at the top of the show oj would talk about that at the end of the show oj would say hey 
you know, now it's open to you. Go check it out yeah, tonight. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that would be a really way, cool way to do it. And they release each one three weekends in a row, three courses. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. Maybe that's how it would work. Maybe that's how it would work. Maybe we rumbled them, boys. Maybe we rumbled their marketing plants. Who knows? Because uh, they're not saying, but presumably soon they will. Okay, more on the whole, the big, kind of bigger aspects of the whole virtual tour thing later. But for now, from the sublime to the faintly ridiculous, Taco Cat, he pops up everywhere. What's that all about then? I tracked Taco Cat down to his lair. Oh, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Does Taco Cat have a, uh, a Taco Cat. I thought you had like a feature with some noises from Taco Cat were coming uh, through. I, I didn't know we were doing sound effects now on the Swiftcast. <laughs> they are they're digging up the road outside my apartment at the moment. Oh, let me. I'm just going to have to go and look out the window. Hang on. <laughs> Jack Hammer. It's a jackhammer. Of all the things on a podcast, a jackhammer starts at the door. Simon's yelling at him too. He's yelling at them. He's literally yelling at them. Uh, and I thought I might have. I thought I might have got away with that. The Spanish don't normally start work till ten a.m. Uh, but the- yeah, they're building like, more roads, are they? How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they literally are building roads. Well, they're not, actually. They're digging up the existing 16th century one. Outside. Gravel's all the rage. They're making more gravel. What are, gravel. What are you going to do? I mean, that's really loud. No, no, that is really loud. This better be kept in the, in the Zwiftcast. This is great listening. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do here. Uh, well, we'll go, we'll go away and talk about Taco Cat for a while, and I'll scratch my head and... <laughs> We can record the second half later can on. You, tomorrow you can't move, can you, Simon? Can you move? Taco Cat's hungry right now. Wants some tacos. At Taco Cat, we see you intervening in all kinds of places on uh, the Zwift Facebook forums. Your interventions, I find, always border on on the surreal. Are you, are you a fan of surrealism? I'm a fan of tacos, I, I, and that that seems to be the um, the general tenor and flavour of all Taco Cat's contributions. Did, did you find that when Taco Cat intervenes in something that's getting a little heated, Taco Cat's contributions can can generally calm things down a little? Yes, that's the purpose. Um, Taco Cat, you know, cats. Cats are cats, you know, people like cats and they meow and, you know, who can who can resist a cat with a taco on its head? Well, Taco Cat, I wonder if you would hand me over to your human now, who I think is uh, is a guy called Craig Hulls. Uh, are you there, Craig? Craig is here. Yes, he is. Craig, as I said there when I was interviewing Taco Cat, uh, Taco Cat's interventions often just have the knack of taking the heat out of things. Um was that was that the initial idea? Well, the initial idea. I was speaking with another guy, and we were messaging on while riding on Zwift. His name is Alien King. He's another big contributor on the Zwift forums, and uh, we said, "Well, we're kind of hungry," and we started talking about trainer difficulty. And we said, "You know, some of these people get really wound up. You know, they're they're all a four feet tall and eighty pounds, and they have FTPs of four hundred and seventy." And they're riding the D races. And we, you know, we kind of said these people need tacos. You know, they just need to lighten up. Uh, a lot of this came from, I'm, an, I'm on several different bike teams. 
and one of the bike teams that I ride in locally after all of our workouts, team rides, uh, we go, we go get tacos. So, you know, it's just, it's just a natural. It's also in the, it's in the vein of Monty Python. What ludicrous nonsense can you put out there that can kind of develop a life of its own? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know he's definitely done that. Where did the image come from, Craig? Oh, I just found it on the on the internet someplace. You must be fairly active in looking for opportunities for Taco Cat to intervene. Yeah, I I, I cruise the uh, the Zwift Facebook pages, uh, you know, several times during the day. I mean, today I was on the bike for three hours and just kind of get bored for a while. <laughs> and <laughs> like, okay, what can I look at here? What can I dream up? And so yeah, I I I look at them and um once in a while i just don't look at it for a couple of days and just start thinking about things i mean uh, today i was riding i'm like oh what can, what can taco cat do next and i, I think <laughs> i was on uh, i was riding the lusher um route the other day and i'm like boy taco cat needs a, a, a tuna shop someplace so you know he's gonna branch out you know He's a cat entrepreneur. I have never seen, and I, I must confess, uh, I've probably not seen all of Taco Cat's contributions, but I've never seen him make a situation worse. Has any uh, has anybody ever been negative towards Taco Cat? We, you know what the internet's like. Oh yeah, there, there's a one guy who was uh, criticizing Taco Cat's tacos, and then he said, and I said, "Well, come up with your own taco." And he actually came up with a a lobster and um, caviar taco that. Uh, sounded really good. Well, listen, Craig. Uh, what? What? How, how long have you been on Zwift? I mean, I, I'm guessing you're a, you're a bit of a veteran. So I've been biking on Zwift for about 20 months. I'm a level 44. I have uh, just just hit 705,000 feet of climbing. I ride over 10,000 miles a year. Uh, about half outside, half inside. So, I do a lot of my climbing workouts uh, on Zwift. I really don't race at all. Um, a lot of it just because of the Oh, the, the stuff the Taco Pat, Cat picks on of the riders that are four feet tall and 80 pounds and have 470 FTPs. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a scout leader and uh, uh, I'm a college professor and I'm a dad and takes up a lot of my time. So, And owner of, of Taco Cat, who brings uh, an enormous amount of pleasure. Some of it, as I say, verging on the surreal, but I think that's the uh, that's the whole fun of it and the whole point of it, really. A lot of pleasure to a lot of Swifters. It's great to get the real story behind Taco Cat. And um, uh, just going back to Taco Cat to complete the interview, um, uh, without it being fish-related or cat-related or indeed taco-related in any way, could you tell me what Taco Cat's number one wish for uh, for something to happen on Zwift might be? Well, we need, like I said, we need the ability to use our drop points to buy tacos at the taco trucks. <laughs> you know, we have this crit city, which is perfect for taco trucks. And, you know, there's all kinds of crowds there. They're going to get the Tour de France there soon. We need the ability to have taco, you know, taco trucks. And also, you know, maybe there's a dog that wants to have a food truck. I, you know, taco cat's okay with that. So that's the, the number one wish on Zwift. Okay. I, I didn't think we would actually uh, successfully manage to steer the conversation away from tacos, even though I tried to do so. Uh, taco cat, it's been a pleasure. And could you thank your owner, Craig, for... Uh, for allowing you this this um, uh, very illuminating interview on the Zwiftcast. Taco Cat, thank you. Right on.
Okay, well, the uh, the men making a lot of noise outside my apartment have uh, I've got I've gone away for a paella or something. So let's let's <laughs> press on, but uh, uh, I don't rule out it coming back. Okay, well, I tuned in more out of passing interest than eager anticipation. But the celebrity charity race ride on Zwift, televised in the UK on Sky TV and available globally uh, via via the interwebs, turned out to be a huge surprise. It was absolutely terrific, well presented and actually a bit gripping. It was a really, really good watch. For those that may have missed it, well, as I say, catch it on Swift's YouTube channel, but it was a, a handicap race where Chris Froome, starting 16 minutes back on the first rider, had to chase down a number of celebrities. They included former Spice Girl Mel C, TV presenter Kirsty Gallagher, golfer Lee Westwood, and rugby player Maro Itoji. Here's a quick taste of it. Melanie C, out of the saddle again, picks it up this little bit of a drag, and then we have another little bit of a downhill section before we go underwater and into the finish. Another second has been chipped off the lead. Steph Horton, what a ride by her, still under and in behind, and then we have Mari Itoje in fifth place. But I think, as we said before, it is down to three riders, Chisholm, Froome and Peterson, still so, so hard to call. Now, as I've said in Zwickast listeners, racing purists may want to look away now, but this was such fun. Fun. I mean, there was real athletic endeavour in there. And the handicap system, which was worked out by World Tour coach uh, Kev Poulton, was about bang on. I felt very sorry for Lee Westwood, who looked to be in great shape and was also going very, very well. Uh, I think he suffered some kind of technical. Uh, and Chris Froome looked like he left nothing out on the road. It was a really, really good watch. And that raised a question in my mind, and this is it. Why doesn't Zwift just stop? trying to replicate real-world racing, at least until the platform is more suited to it, and just go with formats, novel formats like this, that actually work. And this really did. They're at it again, aren't they? Of course, Hare and Hounds, or Cat and Mouse, is borrowed from real life, and I'm exaggerating to make a point. But Shane, this was the funniest, most entertaining thing I've seen Zwift do in this area. Am I wrong? Look, I called this early on. I said, look, Zwift, you can announce the Tour de France. You can do all the all the racing, the professional racing. Rowan Dennis can come and sweep the floor with everyone because he's a great time trialist and knows how to pace himself, uh, which is what's required on Zwift for the for the uh, the courses that he had. I said, look, you, you put have you got a Spice Girl? What what can go wrong here? How entertaining <laughs> is this going to be? Uh, I might have been saying that in jest and I was proven totally wrong. That was brilliant to watch. I, I think and I've said this in one of the Llama Drives I did recently. Zwift has a bit of an identity problem. Are they an entertainment company? Are they a gaming company? Are they a, a software platform for just training company? Are they a replicating real world company? I think this showed that they can be an entertainment company. This just came together really, really well. It was engaging. It was good racing and it had a Spice Girl. Now, secretly, I am a bit of a Spice Girls fan, but that aside, <laughs> this was great to watch. Uh, very UK-centric, though. We need to get some Aussies in there. I mean, come on. We need some Aussies, some Americans as well. I, I think this could this could be a format they could use elsewhere or even regionally. I, I like it. it. It worked really well for them. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think it, it was a test event, uh, and, and I'd absolutely take your point. They need they need more names with, with more global recognition, but, you know, I'm sure that could be achieved as well. Um, Nathan, it's very, very difficult to invent new formats, and this wasn't a new format by any stretch, but it absolutely played to Zwift's current strengths, and it was it was easy, and it was entertaining to watch, and it was easy to follow. 
if virtual racing really is going to go mainstream, to me, those things are just critically important. Yeah, I think I remember one of the first like reality TV shows was, I don't know, was it MTV's Celebrity Deathmatch? I mean, that went over pretty well. I don't know. Like you have these like situations where bringing in lots of celebrities all battling against each other, the well-known names, and then lots of different parts of society will at least recognize one person and they identify with that, be able to cheer for them. You're essentially creating teams that people are like team Spice Girls. You know what I mean? Like team this, team that, you know? So um, I think that's pretty cool. And and the handicap racing, it's super popular. Obviously, the chop is one of the most popular things that we broadcast for the Australian market. And it came over to the Americas for a little while as well. So I think chop racing is uh, absolutely awesome. And getting everybody a chance to win is kind of like bringing that whole community thing together too. So everybody gets a good workout. That's kind of the point. And everybody gets a shot at the podium. Pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it had to come, so I'm going to be the one to do it. What I want, what I really, really want, <laughs> is to see more tell of this. Tell me what you want, James. <laughs> tell, me, tell me what you want. Well, I'll tell you what I really, really want. It's so those men stop making such a damn racket outside my apartment <laughs> window. But, um, but what I really, really want is more of that. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, anyway, Zwiftus can get an idea of how much fun this format is this weekend with a whole series of events around the chase theme. We are the Mousers, and the cat is Fabian Cancellara, the ex-pro. <clears throat> Excuse me, and still obviously a very, very strong rider. You can choose how far ahead of Fabian you start, and he has just one job. Chase you down. Should be a lot of fun. Right on! Okay, well, as we're on the subject of racing, let's just circle back, as they say. Well, they do. I don't. I just thought I would to sound modern. To the virtual Tour de France on Zwift. Now, unless we're in for a major, major surprise, and perhaps we shouldn't rule that out, each stage will probably be won, as Shane said earlier, by a very strong time trialist. But let's not talk it down. ASO are ferociously protective of their brand. I mean, ferociously. It's the biggest bike race in the world. It's a global sporting phenomenon, which almost everybody has heard of. And now Zwift is going to be hugely and closely associated with, with, with that. Kind of regardless of the athletic outcome, as far as marketing coups go, they don't really get much bigger, Shane. This is it. This is the pinnacle of professional cycling for sure. When people say the tour, it's the tour. And there's many tours in cycling, but if you just say the tour, people know exactly the one you're talking about. Uh, yeah, this is absolutely huge. And to get in with the ASO, I don't think that was any easy task. The ASO are pretty pretty tight around things like TV broadcasts and what you can remarket and what you can brand and things like that. Even YouTubers have to be very careful about what they use and what images they use and you've got to have the right credentials or, yeah, you might find yourself on the other side of the fence next year. So this is good stuff. I'm really, really keen to see what they can do with this. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've been working on, working on this for years. I mean, Eric has been has been wooing or seducing or forming a relationship with ASO for, for, for a good number of years. I mean, I know one of the key guys at ASO is a very, very keen Swifter and, and they have been working on this for, for like ever. Um, Nathan, Cycling News reckons that 10 TV channels covering 130 countries have been signed up. Uh, we don't yet know who the production partner will be. 
but I'm guessing that zero expense will be spared and that coverage will absolutely have to be out of the top draw because this is a Tour de France in July. It may still yet not be the only Tour de France in 2020, but, you know, it's big. Do you think we might be surprised and get something a little bit new in terms of racing functionality for this? So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. It's It surprises me that Zwift does things this way. I'll be honest. <laughs> okay, no, I'm serious. Like something this marquee, this high end that isn't in beta testing in the community is like, but, but Zwift a lot of times will suddenly change up some sort of dynamic in how the race is done in the physics or something and you don't no one ever even knows about it the only people who know about it is like you see some side comment from eric maybe or something here or people on zwift power can see um you can you can see uh some of the admins can see what the physics that were changed in that specific race what the randomness that were given to certain power-ups what power-ups were turned on or not turned on so um it surprises me that it just be thrown into the wild of a pro tour race without massive testing in the community first. But for some reason that it doesn't, I mean, it baffles me. Um, it'll just be thrown at races like this to kind of see how it works rather than testing in, in the masses of the community and show that it shows lots of, um, but maybe it's been used in some of these lead-up races, though, too. We have had Pro-Am racing a lot for a while, and I did hear that there were some things here and there. Well, uh, I also know a lot of those been... races in Crit City were being do it, using a lot of different changes, too, so maybe that yeah. was where it was being tested. They, they have been fiddling with the draft behind the scenes mm. uh, and, and kind of not publicizing it. You know, I, the, I know the draft has, has definitely been tweaked. That's, that, I, that's a bone to pick with me because I'm familiar with so many other gaming platforms where they just tell you what they're doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they like here's what we're doing do you like it is it nice hey we like it that tastes like sugar no that that tastes like crap like that, that doesn't taste good at all and you get this feel about like oh it works it doesn't work in the wild you know what i mean and i just am kind of like come on we need more but i've been saying that for swift cash swift cash swift cash we need more info about what's coming and how why and how and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that has that has been improving. Yeah, to be fair to them, um, and I guess I mean you know as as we said earlier in the in 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 the episode, they're still not officially talking about this. So maybe they just want to get all their ducks in a row before before they announce, and they're not only going to announce new roads, they're going to announce same, maybe some of the new things too. At the same time, I would say that that's a lot of work, like in a short period of time. To for this, I would think maybe just the roads are. I mean, that's a lot. You know what I mean? The roads themselves, making sure that they're all working, changing in-game physics and all that other stuff, uh, tends to be another whole other hurdle that's separate from that. I'm not, and I'm not sure we're actually going to see that. I mean, I haven't heard a, 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 a single thing besides little here's and there's that were very, very behind the scenes. So I, I'd be surprised still, even if there was something. Yeah, yeah. We might be we might be expecting too much there. We might be, to be honest. Okay, last bit on this. Um, I read all the comments on Eric's piece on the Zwift Insider website. And I was quite surprised by the kind of negativity of many of the comments. The the summary is, okay, all very good to run the tour on Zwift, very exciting, but can you fix the bugs first? And could you fix the bugs first? 
and can you fix the bugs first before you concentrate your efforts on the tour? I mean, I think this kind of misunderstands a bit how a company works. It's safe to say that not all Zwift employees are on the tour, but it's also fairly safe to say that these courses will have been created at fairly short notice and that a very significant chunk of dev time and game artist time and other departments time will be taken up with it. So do the negative Nellies have a bit of a point, Shane? I mean, we've just seen yet another annoying bug creep into the game with the Bluetooth bridge on the companion app now broken. And I don't want to dwell on bugs, but, you know, there have been a, a few in 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 recent weeks um there has been yeah rough rough seas uh i would call it on the zwift ship um uh, what, what's happening here is is the core product is uh, failing just a little bit in what people the expectations of what people want and need uh for example the fence was released almost a year ago that's been now removed and hasn't been put back in yet the fence was doing a really good job at what it did um the, the things what i call the foundation of the product which is training control pairing, uh, like reliability, just the things that affect absolutely everybody. They need to be rock solid and not touched. There needs to be a gatekeeper at Zwift who says, okay, I control the code that looks after anything that touches the core product. And that is things that just should not break. So even like the keep together effect, that was broken and then fixed again. But if you give people uh, some functionality, you can't then break it. It's got to be there. People get used to it. Um We've had too many of those recently. I'm sure this is not news to Zwift because they're busy fixing them and they're busy hearing all these comments posted online about that. Um, even little Maxwell behind me here is screaming about them as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, I think there just needs to be a bit of a focus on really cementing the core product and not screwing with that at all because people get angry and it does take away the shine from, look, I don't want to you know, I don't care about Latour, that's great, but can I pair my trainer again, please? Uh, they're getting on top of these releases and, and fixing them quite quickly, but it, it can ruin your day. And you have one bad Zwift experience, people will share that with 57 other thousand people online. Um, mm, mm. I mean, it must be terribly annoying for them, to be honest, because, you know, the, you, you do see this reaction online. So Zwift, uh, even though they're not doing this yet, but they, they surely are going to be, they, they, they go to the top of the mountain and shout loudly about how fantastic this thing is. And then people say, yeah, but what about the thing that's broken? That's not so fantastic. So, it, you know, it does take, as you say, it takes a bit of glitter off the gold. Um, and I'm sure it's as, as annoying to them as, is, as it is to, to Zwifters. Anyway, okay, well, uh, all through uh, this uh, month, it's been Pride Month on uh, Zwift. It's been somewhat overshadowed by the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, nonetheless, a whole series of Pride events has taken place on the platform, and Zwift is backing Pride with a $25,000 donation to Athlete Ally, so I thought it might be useful for Zwifters to understand who Athlete Ally are and what they do. And to that end, I caught up with the non-profit's executive director, Hudson Taylor. Hello, Hudson. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us. So I thought it might be pretty cool, actually, Hudson, just to find out a bit more about, about your group. Let, let's reduce it to basics. What do you do? So Athlete Ally is a nonprofit organization that works to end homophobia and transphobia in sports. And we do that in three very specific ways. So the first is around uh, education. We educate coaches, athletes, administrators, really anybody who's involved in sports who has an ability to affect the culture of a team, of their sports space. We try to provide resources and trainings to help them make their environment a welcoming one. 
Um, the second thing that we do is we, we work a lot around sport policy. So we, wanna, we want the policies governing sport to reflect the full diversity of people who are trying to access sport. So we'll work with, again, teams and leagues and sport governing bodies to try to adopt the most inclusive policies possible. And then the third pillar of our work is really athlete activism. Uh, we want to help every athlete use their platform with a purpose. Um, you know, I want if, if, you, if there's an athlete that has a belief that wants to change the world, uh, we as an organization are going to try to help help them do that. And so we have uh, over 400 Olympic, Paralympic professional athletes who are ambassadors. And yeah, just trying to create a world in which athlete activism is more expected and more accepted. Well, that's a very clear exposition uh, of, the, of the mission. Just point me to, in practical terms, just point me to one specific example where you feel you've made a real difference. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the the, the first kind of like big campaigns that I was really proud for Athlete Ally to lead and be a part of was a campaign called the Principal Six Campaign. This is in 2014. Um, so at the time, uh, Sochi, or Russia, had was hosting the Winter Olympics that year. And for the listeners, um, at the time, Russia, it had passed and still has, but an anti-gay propaganda law, which made it punishable by fines or arrest if you supported the LGBTQ community. And so this, we felt, was very problematic because you have this, you know, major sporting event going to a place that is overtly discriminating against a, a population of athletes, of fans. And, and it was really kind of this moment of saying, hey, you know, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, has a responsibility to do something about this in a, in a more meaningful way. And the athletes themselves are, are really limited in, how, in what they can say and do. There's a rule within the Olympic Charter which says um, any kind of political statements or gestures in any of the Olympic venues it would, would violate the Olympic values and, and could subject an athlete to getting their medal stripped, to being eliminated uh, from participating in future Olympics. So Athlete Ally designed a campaign called Principle Six, which was based on the sixth principle of Olympism, which said, discrimination of any kind is incompatible with belonging to the Olympic movement. We organized Olympic and Paralympic athletes to say, I support Principle Six of the Charter, which the IOC couldn't deem as political statement because it was part of the, the core values of the institution. And, uh, and that campaign gained a lot of uh, sort of attention and press and ultimately ended up culminating in the International Olympic Committee adding sexual orientation to the non-discrimination clause of the Olympic Charter and building it into the bidding process for all future games. So now any country wishing to host the Olympics must explicitly say that they support Principle 6 of the Charter and not discriminate against their LGBTQ citizens. Um, turning specifically to, to cycling, uh, Hudson, do, do you think this is a sport with a particular problem? I, I think that every sports culture is really dependent upon who's in the room, who's on the team. What does the coach say? What are the leaders of the team saying and doing? And so, you know, I, I assume that there's probably lots of really welcoming, inclusive, amazing spaces in the cycling community. But I also know that most, most, more often than not, in sports spaces, we don't talk about LGBTQ issues. We don't actually proactively think about how our language and conduct could be negatively impacting the people around us. Um, and so I think, you know, across all of sports, cycling included, there's a real opportunity to be more proactive about saying, hey, this is what we stand for and what we believe in. And, you know, this is the type of culture that we want to create um, so that anybody who accesses the sport of cycling 
can maximize their potential regardless of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, so I, you know, I, I'd like to think that things are good, but I, I believe wholeheartedly that we can always be better. On, I think it's two occasions that Zwift have, have run events in support of Pride. There, there is a minority which, and I'm, I'm going to summarize this fairly brutally. Oh God, you know, more corporate virtue signaling. It's not for you to answer for Zwift's decision to support Pride and, and by extension your organization. But how do you respond to those that, that kind of pushback, Hudson? Yeah, well, I think it's um, the kind of virtuous signaling is it's, it's a fair assessment of some companies. I think it's very different when you're working in a, you know, in a space that actually is a ra- is about athleticism and athletic participation, um, because there are really serious um, challenges and issues that are happening in every sports space. I mean, um, in the United States, only 24% of LGBTQ youth participate in sports. Those that do drop out of sport at twice the rate of their heterosexual counterparts. Um, and so as a result, you, we, ha- we have a youth LGBTQ population who has higher rates of obesity, drug and alcohol use, uh, suicide ideation, um, exposure to bullying, uh, and other forms of sort of isolation or othering. Um, and so the problems impacted the LGBTQ community are very real uh, and cause harm. And I think that it's important for anybody who has the ability to build a community and create a culture around a sport. Uh, has a responsibility to make that culture an inclusive one. I would hope that anybody would want cycling to be a space where anybody can belong. And unfortunately, in order to do that, uh, we have to be proactive. We have to actually go out and and be a bit of a leader and talking about our values, talking about what we stand for, because the assumption is still that sport is not a welcoming space. So you would be more comfortable Clearly, you are more comfortable with an association with a platform like Zwift than, for instance, a coffee chain for a month making all its cups rainbow colored. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that those are very different. Um, I mean, look, uh, everybody can do something. You know, everybody has a network and a platform. And, um, and I, I think throughout every sector of society, there are people who have more access, more opportunity, better experiences than others, and those oftentimes correlate to aspects of people's identity. We know that there are there are communities of people who have less access, um, and I think it's important if you even if you are that coffee company to um, to try to intentionally create an inclusive space. But for Athlete Ally and the work that we're doing. Um, it is about sports. It is about bodies and, and creating space for developing physical literacy. And um, and I think that's why you know Zwift in particular is so important that they are they're leading and and why we're so honoured um, to be helping them lead. Very very interesting, Hudson. Thanks very much indeed for your time and thanks for coming on the Zwiftcast. Thank you. Right, one of those uh, power lists that news sites love to produce, mainly it seems to me to start arguments online, has been produced for cycling. Uh, Cycling News is them again, published its 50 most influential people in cycling. Now, by their very nature, these are arbitrary and, in the Cycling News example, a valiant attempt at a self-fulfilling prophecy with some of the names listed. Uh, But, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Anyway, our boss, our ultimate boss, the Zwift CEO, Eric Min, was listed at number 30. 
largely thanks to Eric being a huge cheerleader for e-racing, or at least that was cyclingnews.com's kind of um, validation of the entry. So, chaps, oh, I have another guessing game. I do like a guessing game. Second one this uh, this episode. Number 30, too high or too low? Let's fall headlong into the trap Cycling News has set for us and have an argument about the power list. <laughs> um, I, I, I'll, I'll go with the opening bid, and uh, I'm not going to sit on the fence here as usual. Uh, I'm going to argue that Eric, as the embodiment of Zwift, probably needs bumping up a few places. I would entirely arbitrarily place him nearer number 20. And the reason for that is recognizing just how much Swift has changed cycling. It's not all about e-racing, cyclingnews.com. Eric's vision has fundamentally changed how we ride our bikes and it will continue to do so for an increasing number of people. So I think he's definitely worth a top 20 slot. Shane, higher or lower than the original 30. Oh, look, if I was on the 29th and, and higher list, I'd be pretty worried at the moment. I think Eric is a silent assassin, so you better watch out. He'll be coming for you if you're uh, higher up on that list than he is. Uh, <laughs> look, uh, it depends. If you had have run this, uh, this poll, I guess, mid-COVID curve, um, Eric would be in the number one slot. There's no question about that. But backing up a little bit, if, if Eric is in 30, John Mayfield has to be 29. I really yeah, think that's yeah, the case because yeah, because yeah, this is where yeah. the seed, this is where the idea, this is where the the product itself came from. Now, Eric has come along and uh, given it uh, money and attention and and businessed it, but John Mayfield, uh, he has to be just a little, a little bit, little bit higher, a little bit higher than Eric. Just yeah. Yeah, no, it's a very good point. No, it's a very good point. Actually, it's a very good point. I mean, the, the problem with these power lists is that, you know, they have to focus on one person as the figurehead of the company. That's <laughs> yeah. Obviously going to be Eric, but it's a very good point you make there. I mean, John Johns was the creative vision uh, and Eric's was the business now. So um, you've done the usual excellent job that you do there, um, Shane, of uh, diverting tactics and sitting <laughs> right in the middle of the fence. Well done. Uh, Nathan, 30, higher or lower? uh spot on i would say like new to the game of cycling a lot of the other organizations that i'm seeing here very very obviously right now in the last year last six months especially but last couple of years who doesn't know really know about zwift who's not training on zwift who's you know it's 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 the trend right now and so um i think it's pretty spot on though because everybody else around there that i'm looking at up from there has been around longer, has a lot more uh, reputation, has, I mean, there's just, there's a, there's longer standing organizations and, and teams, yeah, and yeah. There's yeah. teams that have just been so influential for so long that help build cycling. Whereas like the new kids on the block are the Zwifters. So, but they're definitely here and look to be here to stay. So it's a thing. And uh, without it, there wouldn't be this entire genre and the way that people are pedaling indoors now is really centric around Zwift and being the CEO alongside his other founders though. I would have put his other founders around that. I would have yeah. said Zwift founders, like yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point as well. Um, so you've obviously uh, rather neatly in a pincer movement here, chaps, um, forced me into the position of a biggest brown nose. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing as uh, I'm the only one arguing <laughs> that Eric should be higher than number 30. Thanks very much for that. I'm, I'm very grateful. Excellent. Marvellous. 
Okay, well, uh, that's pretty much it for this episode. Um, the, the very, very alert listeners or listeners listening on great sound systems will realise that um, uh, I have been battling valiantly against the pneumatic monster outside my apartment window. Uh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm probably going to re-record my bits uh, word for word because it is terribly, terribly intrusive. Um, but uh, yeah, been a bit of a been a bit of a battle this one. But that's pretty much it. Um, now, towards the end of the month, the update is due. Our breath here is literally baited. How much tarmac? What flavour? Well, could only be seven, ten days, maybe, until we find out. Uh, so, Shane, before we go, uh, what's ringing your bells in the tech world? New Garmin? Uh, yeah, a couple of new releases from Garmin. They've refreshed their 1030 uh, and 130 range, so the top end and the lower end for the Garmin GPS units, not only for the outdoor stuff, there's a few things for indoors as well. Um, that was uh, an interesting one this week. Uh, it's always good to have new Garmin units. Um, what else? The Stages bike, um, working on a few new videos for that in regards to configuration and uh, just the general ride feel and overall experience of the Stages indoor smart bike. Uh, what else? There's quite a few other trainers coming along. Look, look, this year hasn't slowed down. In the background, companies are still working away. So mm. um, supplies up. I've heard from Elite this week that um, they've been at full production for around six weeks now, and they've uh, got more uh, more staff on board to deal with the um, the higher demand. So, so things are good in the tech space. Um, I hope it continues no, no, on. I hope all these. Yep. Let me let me just intervene there because I, 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 I'd say earlier in the podcast we might might deal with this. It, it's too too much for my head. I, I can never get my head round this whole thing about Swift rides having to work on Strava. I mean, the context for this is is you know we know we're going to get oh we think we're going to get Paris and Nice. What why you know what what is this thing? Why could we not? have a tunnel between Paris and Nice and it work on Strava. Do you, uh, you know, it's a legacy thing. It's a legacy thing. So what happens on, on Strava outdoors? Because Strava was built around outdoors. Virtual worlds didn't really exist or in, in the mindset of Strava when yeah. it was first uh, implemented. So what happens on Strava outdoors on a GPS unit? If you're at the coffee shop and you ride to your coffee shop with your GPS and it tracks you to the coffee shop and then you hit pause or hit stop. Oh, sorry, you hit stop on your GPS unit. And then you have your coffee and off you go down the road. Five minutes later, you're like, oh, damn it, I forgot to start my garment. You hit start. Now, what happens there is Strava will draw a straight line from where you stopped to where you started in that same activity. So it gives you a big straight line. Uh, And that's the way they get around pretty much people forgetting to turn their computers back on because people will be always in the support stuff. And it kind of rounds it. If you're going in a straight line, it comes good. You know, it gives you enough data as what you need. Now, online, though, what happens if you teleport from one place to another? it'll draw that same straight line. So if you're going from virtual Paris to virtual Watopia to virtual somewhere else, you're going to have 16,000 kilometers of a straight line somewhere and it's going to really skew your graph, screw your data, skew just the visuals of where you've been. Now, there's no reason, and this is because originally Zwift was overlaid into the real world and it was out in the Pacific Ocean somewhere. It was sort of north of Australia. Actually, Jarvis Island is just south uh, southwest of Hawaii, I believe yeah. it was. So if you zoom in there to the real heat maps of the real world on Strava, you'll see all these rides around that certain uh, little island that never really yeah. existed. So it's a legacy thing. If they were to do a, a, a teleport or a hop, you get these big, long, straight lines. Now, having said right. that, and that, that's the reason why when you go from the um, from warming up into the, and then into the pens, it'll split the fit file and you'll upload that if it's longer than two or three kilometers um, or else you just won't see it at all. Uh, and then when you do the race, all you see is the race and whatever you do at the end. So they don't jump your virtual positions. But having said that, 
uh, Strava now have the virtual world or a virtual ride. So there's no reason for them to do this. We should be able to hop between different places and have that little graph shown and have the, because all it is is data. Indoors is hours and powers. It's yeah. Yeah, distance and speed is, yeah, it's interesting, but they could be anywhere. So there's no need for them to do this. Uh, it's a legacy thing. Oh, I, I hope to see it changed. So it, it, it's a long straight line problem. And, and the solution is presumably some kind of software tweak at Strava's end could, uh, yeah. could fix that completely. Yeah, it depends on how they – because what Zwift, Zwift comes up with fake GPS data. It really is – it actually generates GPS based on the virtual world. Uh, all, all virtual software platforms do this. But there was never a, a distinction of what was virtual and what was real for when it went to Strava. Now there is. I, I don't see why this hasn't been implemented. Um, yeah. Well, we've seen Strava in the last few years drag their heels on quite a bit. But they have changed recently. The, the original founders are back and we're seeing some things progress forward. Maybe that'd be one of them. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'd like yeah. to see, yeah, I mean, tele- teleportation within Zwift. Always, there was that aeroplane park somewhere on the way to the jungle wasn't there. And, and that was, a, was that homage to, they were going to do airports, just different yeah, places yeah. all in yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to see that. I, I want to see that kind of movement in game. I'd like to fly off to London and just do the, I mean, there's a couple of very small routes that I've got to unlock the badge for. I don't want to do a whole ride of four kilometers. I'd like to jump on a plane though, a virtual plane, do my little ride loop, get the route badge and then fly somewhere else. Imagine yeah. if you could fly around to different route badges all within the one ride. That'd be cool. Yeah. So so we shouldn't be moaning about Zwift. We should be moaning about Strava. I think it's some, some synergy needs to happen between the two companies, yes. Uh, there's probably on both sides, yeah. 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 Well, Strava are definitely in customer slash subscriber pleasing mode at the moment, so maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they will get around to fixing this. Uh, Nathan, just before we go, um, I, I was only just aware of this because I think you only did it a few hours ago. You've now taken up, for God's sake, you've now taken up simultaneous commentating while racing how the hell that wasn't the plan i wasn't planning i was planning so the plan was we go live and it's me and dave toll and dave was going to be ds team car while commentating kind of leading but lot uh we were on crit city it, it flattens out it goes to a climb it flattens out it goes to a climb and I felt good <laughs> and I liked talking. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's my only explanation. That was my experience. I felt good and there was, it was it was fun talking about stuff. So that's what happened. You were commentating whilst racing. Is I wasn't that, really that- commentating. I mean, I could actually, it's funny. Like I started thinking about it during the race and my heart rate was 140s to 150s, which I could have spoken a little bit more as after I warmed up actually. And, and I probably could have talked a little bit more, but it was kind of cool to get like, I just say little bits like, oh, this is this person and this is who we've been watching throughout the, because it's been a series of races and it's essentially like a local, well, not local. You got this entire American crowd and some from the lands down under because it's this time that they can show up at too. And like, and then a few, a few of uh, some of the Asian crowd as well. And, and they're all, we're all jumping in. It's week in and week out. We're just hammering at each other in this USA cycling series. And we kind of got to know each other. Been a lot of fun. Who's going to go? Who's not going to go? What teams are, are doing what? Classic Swift racing type stuff. But you're in the middle of it. 
And because of that, you can kind of give your perspective about how it's going to work out, what you're thinking, why you're thinking it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, no, just no, no, no. Yeah. With that. But it's not I, commentating. Is that commentating? That's just me talking about my race stuff. Okay. I, I see the theory. It's the practice I struggle with. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to get five words out of the top of zone two these days. Like, yeah, I don't know who won. I don't know. Somebody with a 350 FTP, but. <laughs> <laughs> just don't throw up on your shoes and post that online. Did everyone see that this week? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what? God. That was disgusting. Sweat. Posting a sweat post with a pool of sweat under your trainer is bad enough. Somebody posted full chuck and carrot. There was carrot. There's always carrot. <laughs> there are always carrots, aren't there? Oh, that was. I, I had to look away from that. It, was, you know, oh, God, it, it takes awful. the cake, the carrot cake. Some people have no shame. It was, <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, anyway, um, this 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 episode has been recorded under under quite difficult circumstances. I'm going to go out and, and and practice my very very limited Catalan on the man with the with the very loud piece of equipment and and ask, and and thank him for for making my life just a little bit harder than than it, <laughs> it, it, it ought to have been on this. I mean, you know, we started this recording at eight a.m. my time. Now, you know, I I love. Uh, Catalonia. I really love this place, but it's got a very different rhythm to life. And basically, pretty much nobody gets out of bed much before 9.30. Nothing opens till 10. So I thought, you know, I thought I'd be safe with an 8am record because they did start this drilling yesterday. But um, it looks like these guys were very keen to get going this morning. So um, thanks, guys, for your contribution to the podcast. And thank you to the drilling men for adding a particularly... <laughs> challenging sound flavor to uh, to bits of the podcast but anyway there we go these things are sent to try us thank you very much indeed my friends uh, i think we'll be convening pretty soon after the next update actually because um you know if if the straws in the wind are in any way accurate it's going to be quite a beefy one thanks guys talk to you next time all right cheers boys thanks for the chat drill on no no don't do that (laughs) see you guys bye bye